where we find ourselves in a world where there's a lot of trouble, whether it's COVID, which seems to be fading out, but then you get uh, monkeypox and tomato flu, and you have gotten the war in Ukraine, which seems to be dragging on without resolution, big problems economically, politically in Sri Lanka, other countries. And uh, it's also constantly you know, pushed onto us, whether it's news, social media, we're constantly exposed to all the trouble happening anywhere in the world. And the natural result of that is that our mind can become dejected. Or do you feel uplifted when you read about the wars and the diseases? No, no. It's a natural response. We can become upset or depressed or dejected. So what to do? We have to do something because the state of dejection or depression is not wholesome. We're not going to help anyone with that. We're not going to help ourselves. So it is a mind state that is un ultimately uh, unbeneficial. And the question is now how can we abandon an unwholesome mind state of you know, dejection, frustration. And one quality the Buddha pointed out is uh, mudita. One quality is a mudita, a sympathetic joy. Because even in a world that is troubled with pain, we can always find something that is good and wholesome and noble and beautiful. And once we focus on that, particular good, wholesome, noble, beautiful actions, once we focus on that, then we can rejoice in that. We can develop sympathetic joy with the accomplishments of good people. Now, the very first thing which we can do is simply in remembering the Buddha. Whether there's war or not, or whether the economy goes down or up, the one thing is absolutely sure that the Buddha is the blessed one, the supremely enlightened one. He had completely freed himself from all suffering. He had developed all the parami, whether it's wisdom, compassion, samadhi, psychic power. He had completely abandoned the defilements, whether it's anger, aversion, or desire, passion, or delusion. Completely free from that. So what, come what may, we can always focus on the Buddha and remember his good and noble qualities. <laughs> and develop mudita about that. And then our heart can, can be bright and radiant. Just like the sun is shining even if there's war. 
Sometimes almost frightening when you get footage there from Ukraine and by now they endured its summer. And isn't it lush and green, a beautiful forest and the sun shining. And then they have this awful war. Because in the end of the, the weather, the sun is not affected by that. So similarly, even if there are very negative things happening, we can make our minds still bright and radiant. We can maintain a sense of internal joy and happiness and contentment, even despite all the bad things. Because these bad things are around always, all the time. There's no chance that we ever get the human world into a perfect paradise. So we have to learn to train our mind to a wise above that kind of suffering. And the first thing is always remembering the Buddha. One of the most common meditation objects the Buddha was teaching himself very common meditation object Ajahn Man would teach even to his great monk disciples. So many of the great Ajahn's disciples of Ajahn Man developed their samadhi by recollecting the Buddha. Just repeating Buddha ho, Buddha ho, Buddha ho, Buddha ho. Now that is one way of focusing on mudita because what could be inducing greater sympathetic joy than the Abhahant Sama Sambuddha, the perfectly awakened one, the supremely enlightened one and his endless good qualities and his freedom from any negative states or Defilements. It's the same there internally. It's the same internally. Now sometimes uh, there's not so much encouraging things happening inside. And sometimes you may be feeling dejected or anxious. Sometimes there may be issues with uh, sickness in our life. All kinds of internal trouble on top of the external one. Nevertheless, even if that happens, then we can always come back to the Buddha, remembering the Buddha. We can always come back remembering the great disciples. The mudita is excellent for overcoming the adati, the discontent and the dissatisfaction. The mudita is simply in the rejoicing in the accomplishments of another person. In that sense, it's the opposite of jealousy. Often if we see someone else being uh, more successful in getting the promotion when we don't get it, going on a big cruise when we don't have the money for it, and so on, then jealousy can arise, envy. 
having someone having a more attractive partner. But again, uh, envy and jealousy is an unwholesome mind state, bad karma. Instead, when we see someone doing something good or even just having a worldly success based on effort and hard work, we can rejoice in that, what stops us from being happy about that. It can become a habit looking around, what can we find to feel mudita about? What can we find that is admirable and uplifting? That's the faculty of manasikada. What do we pay attention to? Usually we find if we are dejected or down, if we analyze it, one reason is usually that we are looking at the bad things. And it becomes habitual. So we have to turn that around. Now there's no endless things happening all over the world. There are so many things happening in our personal life. In terms of our own actions, now there were times when we messed up, but there were also other times when we did something really good. There were other times when we did something really courageous. There were times when we did something really helpful and beneficial to others. So in the faculty of attention, Manasikava is simply, what do we focus on? And we can choose that. And often we forget that we can choose that. Often the process becomes automatic. Like on YouTube, when you watch a video on YouTube, and then the video is over, what happens next? Get another one, unless you disable, how is it called, an automatic... I forgot how they call this function, but unless you disable it, YouTube will just present you another video and the first one is over automatically, according to their algorithm of what they think you may like. And there's actually also a great danger in that. The same with the searching and the search results on Google. Because once Google notices and once YouTube notices what you like to watch, what you like to search for, the artificial intelligence, the algorithm, picks up on that. And then they give you always the same kind of stuff. And if you like to read the latest news about disasters, then YouTube will constantly feed you another disaster video and this tsunami and this nuclear power station going off and so on. On the other hand, if you go to YouTube and you listen to Dhamma talks, and then YouTube notices that you do that a lot, they start feeding you that. And then you get Ajahn Shah, Lungta, Mahabua, Mpua Samedo, and so on, and they recognize. But quite frankly, when I ever use that, I usually switch it off because I want to make decisions myself what I watch, 
if I watch something. I don't want no Google, no YouTube to decide for me what I watch. Because I understand as a Buddhist monk, what I watch is like food. We all understand that the food becomes the body we are walking about with and our health will depend on what you eat. You are feeding your body in a good way or a bad way. It's even more so with the mind. Whatever we watch, what we listen to, the kind of conversation, and that, that is feeding, that is a nutriment for certain mind states. And if you watch some nice entertainment or music, then the mind may be quite happy, but maybe in a little bit in a negligent, superficial way. If you watch you know, the latest dangers, what kind of diseases we may possibly be getting in the next 10 years, then you're feeding anxiety, probably become worried about it. If you watch you know, disasters and war, then your mind will become dejected or angry. If you watch uh, Dhamma talk about loving kindness, where you get encouraged you know, to wish well, to all beings and gladness and its safety. May all beings be at ease. May I be happy and healthy. May all beings live long, healthy and happily. And if you watch that kind of chanting, that kind of Dhamma talks, now that is a food, a nutriment for the quality of loving kindness in your own heart. So I would recommend uh, switch that off and use, use Google search when you're not logged in or use another one. You don't have to Google it, you can Swiss cow it. Have you ever heard of Swiss cow? It's another search engine. <laughs> and it's not as big as Google, but they, they wouldn't have this monopoly and they wouldn't have and that is feeding you always the same kind of stuff, what you like. We have to learn to train our faculty of attention. One of the most crucial factors in Dhamma practice, what do I pay attention to? And my recommendation today, looking at that beautiful sunshine, that we can pay attention to sympathetic joy. We can always find beautiful, inspiring actions. We can always find beautiful, inspiring qualities in some people. And that's simply what we focus on. And once we focus on that, then we rejoice. Or we feel happy. The mudita is great for developing happiness. And we don't even need to have anything special ourselves. We can just tune into other people's goodness. It's almost like using other people's money. Wouldn't it be nice if we could go to the shopping center 
and spend someone else's money. <laughs> it would be fun shopping. Ne? What it does a little bit like that. Even if I don't have any of the great qualities of the Buddha and many defilements, and never mind, I can still, rather than thinking about my own weaknesses and shortcomings, I can choose that I want to pay attention now, not on any of my shortcomings, but on the accomplishments and infinite virtues of the Buddha, and then just think about them. And that freedom is there, isn't it? As long as I don't get hooked up by habits. Just like on YouTube, the freedom is there. You switch off this automatic feed. You don't have to pick any of the videos which come up in your feed on the side, you know, all these suggestions. But you can just type in what you really want. It's good to get into that habit, not to function like automatic, like a robot. So we have to regain the control over our faculty of attention. And then we direct it to the Buddha. We direct it to the great Kuba Ajans, Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah, Lumpur Liam, Lumpur Sumedho, and so on. And suddenly you know, the mind can be bright and shining, even if there is war in this world. And suddenly the mind can be uplifted, bright, light. Even if there's things going wrong in our own life or we have problems with sickness or whatever. Do you all know the basic chanting? Itipiso Bhagava Adahang Samma Sambuddho Vicha Chadana Sampanno it's good to know that one by heart because that is you know, the easy one to direct the mind to these great qualities. This is why in all Buddhist traditions you know, a lot of chanting is being done. This is why traditionally, you know, even in lay life, people are encouraged you know, to have a puja you know, twice a day, or at least once a day, and doing a bit of chanting. When we do chanting, the mind is also being directed to this inspiring, mudita-inducing objects like the Buddha. So what do you think? Do you practice mudita regularly? Yeah, someone is pointing out that she sees so much suffering in the world where people are in a, a hunger and famine and, and war. And uh, she applies the sympathy or probably compassion, but she can't see now how she can do mudita. And 
No, of course, that is correct. If you focus on someone who is just suffering, you can't develop mudita with uh, suffering. That would be more like a negative quality and a gloating, gleeful gloating about someone's misfortune, what we call schadenfreude in German. So when you are exposed to that, you have to focus on someone who has lots of pain and suffering, then the correct Brahma Vihara to develop is karuna, compassion. Because sometimes you're not free where you pay attention to. Let's say if you uh, visit a sick relative who has a very painful condition, is in hospital, in that situation it may not be so easy to do mudita because you obviously have to focus on that person with all their problems. And then the appropriate one is karuna, compassion. The wishing them to be free from suffering. Mudita is wishing other beings to fully receive the good results of their accomplishments, not to be separated from their accomplishments. Karuna, compassion, is wishing others that they are free from pain and suffering, free from sickness. So if you really have to focus on someone in, in a very painful situation, then karuna is better. But the reality is that very often we have a freedom in what we focus on. And it's not that we constantly have to focus on the war and the famine. I mean, some people are on the side now of just uh, denying things that can also be a danger. But many people are too much focused on these negative stuff. And for example, Ukraine, we, we know now that this is absolutely awful. And we know now that we would want it to end. But now looking at all the details, all these wars developing, and looking at videos of the people suffering in the war zone, that does, I can't really see how that does a great benefit to you. And in that situation, then it's better not to pay attention to that, but to pay attention to something inspiring and to mudita. Yes, yeah. So you shouldn't suffer because of other suffering. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's not the Buddha's teaching. Karuna doesn't mean because someone else suffers, I also have to suffer. Because it would be of no benefit to the suffering person. And if I am in pain, I wouldn't get any benefit from you developing pain as well. So that is uh, really important. Um, karuna doesn't mean that I want to make myself suffer as well. Quite the contrary, you're wishing the other person that they may be freed from that suffering. And all the Brahma Vihavasana should be apamanya, the boundless, limitless, infinite. So you wish that person you see suffering, may they be free from that suffering, but you also wish it to yourself. 
and you also wish it to everyone, absolutely everyone. May absolutely all beings, including myself, be free from suffering. May all beings be free from pain. May all beings, including myself, be healed. The point is not that you suffer now on top of someone else suffering. There's no benefit and only disadvantage to everyone involved. And the amazing thing is that karuna, when you practice that correctly, then your mind doesn't get pulled down when you encounter suffering. There's one way you know, to raise your mind you know, even beyond a very abject suffering which you may encounter. Because the wish may you be free from suffering is always wholesome and uplifting. And when you experience suffering in other beings, and you notice now how your empathy and so on starts overwhelming you and you get really down because you suffer along with them, and then this wish, may you be free from that, that is what can uplift your mind. And it also feels good for the person who is receiving that. for the podcast we have a question how do, you, how do you develop mudita for people who have done something really wrong and who may have hurt and damaged and harmed me or my loved ones uh, again this is not an occasion where mudita would be suitable no. that would be schadenfreude it would be in a rejoicing in someone's misfortune which is unwholesome what you would want to do in that case is, for example, forgiveness, trying to develop forgiveness. Again, if you have been hurt and harmed, what you may develop is equanimity and reflection on karma. If they have really harmed you with a malicious bad intention, bad intention it means it will come back to them as bad karma. No need to take revenge. Whenever I had been harmed by others, sure enough that is the external cause that they may have done that to me. But on a deeper level, if I didn't have any bad karma, it wouldn't have happened. Ultimately, they are just a tool that they are making some bad karma which I already have uh, to manifest. And then we're getting less upset when you reflect on karma. Then you develop the equanimity. The next one, if you really want to be a little bit challenging yourself and really practice very diligently, you can try to develop karuna, compassion to the people to harm you. Because whenever we harm others, we are harming ourselves and often even more than the other person. Although it may not manifest straight away. But whenever we harm someone else, and there's truly bad intention, 
it will come back and there's bad karma and hit us. So if we con contemplate like that, and then you may even feel compassion with those people who are harming you. But that is already a, quite a saintly level if you can do that. It's particularly difficult if the harming and hurting continues. This is when, what makes it very difficult to have forgiveness and compassion when they continue hurting you. Of course, you also try to stop it. And having compassion doesn't mean that you encourage people to hurt and harm you. You try to stop it, but only in a form where you're not hurting and harming back. Yeah, please. What, what to do when you're having trouble escaping that for yourself, you know, when you're angry at yourself for the hurt that you may have caused, you know, uh, how, to, how to really give that to yourself with self-compassion? Excellent question. Someone is asking, how about myself? If I have done something bad, either to others or even to me, and now I have these feelings of guilt and remorse and I feel down and upset and angry at myself. First thing, it is very important and wholesome and good if we recognize and understand that we have done something wrong. Now that insight, that understanding, I made a mistake and what I did was actually harmful and unbeneficial. I hurt someone, I damaged someone. To understand that and notice that is really important and very good and wholesome. However, feelings of guilt, regret, remorse and self-blaming and self-hatred, that is not helpful. So the Buddha encourages the first one to mindfully and with wisdom noticing and understanding I did something wrong and harmful. But once I have understood it, what is the next thing? What should I do now? I make a resolution. I determine that in the future I will do better. This is where the energy should go. Not now in berating myself and self-regulation and uh, putting myself down because that doesn't help anyone. If it's possible, we may also try not to repair any damage we have done. Sometimes that is that can be done, sometimes not. But if it's possible, it's good to do that. And then the main thing for the future, having that aspiration, that resolution, I don't make that mistake again. I put my energy and my determination in the future I do better. And the feelings of guilt are unbeneficial. It doesn't help anyone. Unfortunately, it looks like there's a lot of deep subconscious conditioning for feelings of guilt. And it may come in Western culture, possibly from Christianity, I'm not quite sure, but uh, Buddhist teachers from traditional Buddhist countries have often pointed out that, say, in traditional Buddhist society, they don't have that very much. It's a very uh, modern and Western thing. They have so much guilt and 
self-loathing and anger against oneself. And again, the Brahma Viharas, they have to be limitless, boundless to everyone. And that includes oneself. So whenever you do loving kindness, make sure that you direct loving kindness directly to yourself. This is why often you may even want to start with someone else and only once you have it going, then you bring yourself in. The traditional style is what they do in the commentaries and so on. You start loving kindness with yourself and then you bring it out further to others. But in our society, many people struggle with themselves. The original ideas should be easy. But if you find to yourself it's very difficult, then you start with someone else. Maybe a cute little kitten or puppy or a horse or a donkey. Have you ever heard about the donkey here? One of the neighbors is keeping a donkey now and occasionally you, you hear him doing the donkey call. And they, ah. <laughs> it sounds really funny. But they can be very cute. I like donkeys a lot. So if you find yourself difficult to have loving kindness, start with a donkey. And once the loving kindness is going strong, then to yourself. And it's so important because you, you have to... Sometimes people feel that there are so many beings in the universe, I have to practice loving kindness to all of them. And this is in the billions and trillions of beings. So from a statistical or mathematical viewpoint, I'm only one being of these trillions and trillions in the whole universe. So I, I use only one trillionth of my effort of loving kindness to myself. This is wrong calculation. It doesn't, it doesn't work mathematically like that. And in practice, the loving kindness to yourself is quite a big chunk of your whole practice. Although you're only one being out of so many. And sometimes it may be a good approach to do it almost 50-50. 50% to all beings and 50% to yourself. Mathematically that seems to be imbalanced, but in practice it can be a good, <laughs> can be a good approach. Then once you notice that you really can give it easily to yourself and you feel really happy, if you wish yourself happy, you feel happy about that, and then you can go more for the others. We always have some doubts and um, obstructions and should I really practice loving kindness? Should I really wish myself well or is it not maybe imbalanced? A lot of that is Mara. A lot of that is Mara and trying to, to stop us. Now, I, I don't think, don't be too worried that you are too, un, too biased or anything. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong to wish oneself well. 
What were you thinking? Um, I was thinking about not being, not being defined, really defined, and so being, being able to be free, not accepting what other people uh, say to you, but finding your own, um, not denying what they say either, but with other people, what they say, you know, if, if it is a very wise person, you know, then we may want to give quite a bit of attention what they say about us. What people in general say about us, I would recommend not to worry too much. Unless it is a person who is wise and has a very um, beneficial attitude to us, you know, then you really want to take it on board. But no. Just generally, you know, people say so much and think so much. But when it comes to loving kindness, fortunately, it doesn't really matter what they say about us. And it also doesn't matter whether they are correct. You know, if people say about me that I'm too careless or too egoistic or too angry or too stupid, they may be right or they may be wrong. But in terms of loving-kindness, it's completely irrelevant. Because if they say that I'm stupid, and they are correct, and I am stupid, I still deserve loving-kindness. Even a stupid person should get unconditional loving-kindness, no difference. And if I'm super smart, a little Einstein, and they're actually not correct when they call me stupid, it's again no difference, because a little Einstein should also receive unconditional loving-kindness. The same with angry. If people are saying you're too angry or you're too anxious or you're too lazy, whether they are right or they're wrong, even if they're right, it's no difference for loving-kindness. That's the beautiful thing about real loving-kindness. You don't need anything to qualify. You don't have to change yourself, you don't have to define yourself, you don't have to improve yourself, you qualify for loving-kindness 100% and totally, just on account of being a living being. I think I like equanimity more than metta, and I think maybe the reverse is for you, possibly. Equanimity is another Bahma and my recommendation would be to you know, use wisdom in which situation are they most beneficial to apply. A loving kindness is one where one can get you know, results quite easily, in particular in terms of feeling uplifted and happy. I think you enjoy some loving kindness as well. I feel quite confident. Sometimes, yeah. You see, it's difficult to harm anyone with genuine loving kindness, isn't it? I have to think about that sometimes. <laughs> I think the bigger danger is in the lack of loving kindness. I think beings have suffered because they never not receiving much loving kindness, not generating much loving-kindness in their heart. 
I don't think there's many beings who have suffered from receiving too much genuine loving kindness or practicing too much real loving kindness. Someone is just sharing. It's obviously difficult if we are being attacked or incited in a, from, from very difficult people. And then to develop loving kindness. And it's quite natural that we feel irritated and angry. And she is sharing that in that situation uh, it is very helpful for her to reflect on the supreme forbearance and patience of the Buddha. And who would even practice loving kindness to uh, Devadatta who tried to kill him. And uh, I really like the story when Ajatasattva sent these uh, soldiers to kill the Buddha, paying them and ordering them via Devadatta again. And when the soldier arrives now with the order to murder the Buddha, and the Buddha is sitting under a tree meditating, and noticing the supreme qualities of the Buddha and sensing his vibes, he actually can't do it and he's just standing there and is starting feeling frightened and, and shaking. And the Buddha noticing that and actually calling him, saying, come here friend, don't be afraid. So calling your assassin and calming them down of their fear is obviously the highest form of forbearance you can imagine. And then the soldier is asking forgiveness from the Buddha straight away. And when he goes away, the Buddha with his psychic powers is seeing that his life is in danger. Because in order to cover up the crime, they had ordered another two people to kill the murderer now. And so the Buddha told him, okay, but you don't go away. You don't go back the same way. You go this way. So he saves his life. And uh, I fully agree with you if you reflect on that and how the Buddha could do that. And now he had a true, unshakable loving kindness and equanimity. And now he had true loving kindness and even for enemies who wanted to kill him. That can uh, be a very good reflection when we are overcome by anger. So good that you found some skillful means of calming your mind. Mm. Which brings us back now how we started this Dhamma talk. Now remembering the Buddha is a great one. That is all in mudita. And if you remember how the Buddha could treat even his enemies with kindness and compassion and save the life even of his enemies, then you feel mudita. That's a difficult part. <laughs> then you feel mudita. And the mudita will then... Uh, flush out the anger. Okay, please be all kind to yourself. Have loving kindness to yourself. You're not going to harm yourself. You can't have too much loving kindness to yourself. There's nothing unbiased or wrong with having loving kindness to oneself. Another one? Little question or
Yeah, with that one you have to be a little bit careful. Having loving kindness doesn't necessarily mean that you give your all. Because again you have to practice loving kindness also to yourself. And sometimes you may need, if you give your all only to others, then you may not have enough left for yourself. Whether it's material things or whether it's energy. And uh, the result will be that you yourself collapse. Once you yourself collapse, then you also can't do anything for anyone. So uh, looking after yourself is part of loving kindness. And looking after yourself is a very condition that you can look after others. This is why the Buddha always insists on, this is one thing one has to balance. You have to balance looking after others and looking after yourself. And the more common one probably is people being egoistic and looking or trying to look too much after themselves and neglecting others. But there's also a considerable number of people around who get into the other extreme. And they're looking after others so much that they start neglecting themselves. And then uh, there's a lack of loving kindness to oneself. It can be, I think, maybe more common, particularly in the women with uh, traditional conditioning. It was often a traditional conditioning that you know, the, the mother and the wife and so on had a strong conditioning that they should sacrifice themselves. It can happen in any, in any gender. But the biggest problem about, or big problem about that is you know, the moment you ne neglect yourself, you will at some stage no longer be able to be very functional. And the result is then you can't look after others either. Whereas if you have sufficient, if you have loving kindness for yourself and you make sure that you also look after yourself as required, then you maintain your long-term ability to also help and look after others. So it's important to understand that one can miss the middle way on both sides. And although the more common one is being egoistic, only concerned about one's own welfare, there's also the possibility to go to the other extreme and only focusing on others but neglecting oneself, and that is also missing the middle way. Please look after yourself. You have to give quite a bit to yourself. And in the end, that is also better for others. Because the stronger you are, and the better you function yourself, the bigger your potential in, in looking after others. A good example is the a uh, flight in the airplane. Maybe you haven't been flying for a while with all this COVID. For me, it's almost two and a half years now or something. Almost three years, I think, last flying, internationally at least. Now, when they do this security training, safety, and when the pressure in the airplane gets reduced, automatically the masks come off. And now, if you have maybe a kid, your daughter, your granddaughter with you, 
Who do you put on the mask first? Can you remember in the airplane? Cabin pressure is a damage, no oxygen in the cabin. The masks are falling down. What, what is the instruction? Who do you put the mask on first? On yourself. Isn't that egoistic? Why do you do that? Exactly, because if you try to put it on someone else, you may already lose consciousness. And once you lose consciousness, you will not be putting the mask on anyone. And then both will be dying. But once you are wearing the mask and you can breathe, then you are able not to help all the others. It's an excellent example for the approach of the Buddha. Our own welfare is a very condition for the welfare of all the others. It's so really important having loving kindness it, to everyone. It has to be upper manya. And as I said, although there are so many beings in the universe, trillions, and I'm only one of them, never make the mistake to think mathematically that means only one trillionth of my effort of loving kindness is directed to me and the rest to all the others. This is wrong mathematics. Now, often it's a good approach to try 50% of your effort in loving kindness to yourself in your formal meditation, 50% to all the other beings, at least for starters. <laughs> and then you start varying the percentage. Yeah. Okay, out of loving kindness for those who may have to go to the loo or want to warm up in the sun, I better let you go. Thank you for your patience.